Welcome back to Bricks and Clicks. I'm Lucas Walker and your hosts Colin and Johnny are standing by in the green room. They are well fed. They are excited to join us. We are going to be recapping Expo West, which they attended a few weeks ago. I know it's a little bit late, but I was on vacation. So I'll be asking them what their highlights were, what they saw, maybe what was missing. Can't wait to talk about it. Johnny, Colin, welcome to your show. Hey Lucas, it's uh, it's really good to be back and good to see you. Uh, more importantly than Expo, how was your trip? Where'd you go? Oh, what did you see? It was amazing. Went to uh, went to Dublin. Went to the the Jameson Museum. Learned all about whiskey distilling to to keep it on on topic. We skipped the Guinness Museum because we were drinking Guinness, so a little bit at the uh, consumption side of production, which is also very important. But it was actually interesting because I've done the tour before, and it really wasn't until the fifties when the the nitrogen widget was invented yeah. that they could actually continue to uh, sell it and, and really can it and have an actual product, which is funny. A lot of these legacy consumer packaged goods companies, they were just kind of a name for a long time and didn't get popular until kind of recently, which is, which is always interesting to, to talk about as if we haven't dunked on marketers enough in these, these first few episodes, but very much marketers taking the, the wheel of that to embellish the company's history a little bit. I mean, yeah, the, the little nitrogen thing, whatever it is inside the widget, the, Guinness, the widget. I have very fond memories of my dad drinking Guinness and like shaking it afterwards and then cutting it open and showing it to us. So it's like a little very cool. Thing. My dad did the same thing. They were yeah, just yeah. so like thought yeah, this piece of tech cool. was the coolest thing ever. So wait, wait uh, though, you were in Ireland for St. Patty's Day? Yeah. Wow, that's made pretty it back cool. in one piece. Did what was not it like there? COVID. How was oh, that? Packed, packed. Streets shut down. If you can imagine if they really shut down, say, King West in Toronto or maybe like a big street in New York, it was just shut down. Everyone was was in a good mood, in good spirits because they didn't have St. Patrick's Day for the last two years. I mean, they oh, gave, yeah. uh, the 18th off as well is a is a holiday to commemorate all everyone who lost their lives during COVID and just frontline workers and, and whatnot. I think Wild. I can relate to it because that sounds a lot like Expo West, uh, especially the very first day when the Wednesday, when it was just the North Hall opened. And I remember walking in there and it was just a mass of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was absolutely crazy because the main hall wasn't there and seemed everyone was there. Everyone was in a good mood. I naively thought that everyone would be wearing masks since they said there was going to be a mask mandate. But then mm-hmm. when uh, Rick and I walked in, we were the only ones wearing masks and everyone was had their masks off. So it was uh, it was very overwhelming to start. I would say I was a little freaked out to be honest, especially that first day. I was like, I don't know if I can be here or not. Colin, what'd you think? It was it was a lot um, being around that many people, and the no mask thing also threw me. I tried to wear my mask the first day. Yeah, try to wear it. We we're walking around, and then you're always like mask on, mask off, and then it was getting hot, and then no one else is wearing it. And then yeah. by the end, I just ended up giving up. Yeah, it's really hard to have an or awkward, I guess, to have a conversation, a one-on-one conversation where you're wearing a mask and they're not. And it's just like, you just, I mean, you pick up a lot of the body language and communications through a mouth. 97% of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. yeah. The other thing was like the work that Omnium did on the spread of COVID for stadiums, yeah. the Omnium Air model also was always thinking about that and realizing like, okay, if my mask is only on this much of the time anyways, it's like my risk is still super huge. Yeah, because I'm taking it off and I'm going to be in here for like eight hours today. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is not wearing a mask. So, yeah, so just hey. like, yeah, yeah, the, the one one way protection only goes so far. Yeah, so it does help. I mean, it was good. We at least try to keep it on as much as possible. But yeah, it was 
it was definitely a shock. And I mean, we're really fortunate. Our entire crew that went down, we had a big crew down there. Nobody got COVID. So that was a very nice thing to happen in terms of, because we did hear some stories about people getting and, and spreading down there, which is which is not a surprise given the amount of people. And we're still in the pandemic, but it was awesome. In terms of the trends, yeah. I'll ask you since I, since I wasn't there, but I guess the first question is, what was the, from the brand side of things, what was the first thing that you, that you noticed? I would imagine a lot more uh, alternatives and, and plant-based products compared to say three, three to five years ago as, as that trend continues to go, maybe drinks. But what was the first trend that you noticed that there was just way more of than the, the last time you walked the halls? Fake meat. Yeah. Everyone had just a ton of it. Chicken, beef, pork, different ingredients that went into it. It was everywhere. I mean, there was just so much of it. It feels like it's almost the, the alternative meat category has taken a step up in terms of trying to get fancier or better for you or more artisanal and things like that. It's taken that next yeah. step versus before like expos in years past, it was beyond and impossible, right? Those are kind of the big two. And I remember the beyond booth probably in 2017 or 18 when they was like mimicking a McDonald's and they had their chicken nuggets or whatever. And that was like, everyone was there. And that was like the only one. And it's just completely different now. Yeah. And then a lack, like there was a lack, there's almost no meat products. Whereas in the past, mm. like there, there'd been like jerky alley basically where there was yeah, like yeah. five jerky companies with the same thing. Yeah. And there's like, I saw like one jerky booth and there was nobody there. It was like a force wow. field around it. Uh, yeah. I didn't uh, even think about that. That's a great call. Which yeah. I think also speaks to the keto trends, if that, that might be dying off a little bit. But I did see actually, so I did see a lot of keto specifically though. Yeah. So like there was keto in like the snacks and bars and that, that continues to be, be pretty big. Well, I think it's an, an identifier. Keto is synonymous with, with low carb at this point, the way that yeah. Atkins was maybe 20, 30 years ago, but Atkins was a brand of a fad diet versus keto, which feels more lifestyle to use, to use a few buzzwords. It's interesting that you mentioned jerky because one thing I noticed in the the UK because it's everything's so regionally smaller is that the food seems to be a lot fresher there, both in terms of the the meat but also the eggs. The yolks were a lot brighter orange, mm-hmm. and that might also be in the UK they don't wash the membrane off, which is why over there the eggs can be on the counter versus in North America they have to be in the refrigerator. So I think that that was mm-hmm. one thing that I really noticed was just the quality of the eggs. Just regular grocery store eggs did seem much much higher, but jerky is another product that. So Lucas, I got to crush, I got to crush your dreams there a little bit around the egg color. According to, we had a client where they had eggs and what they told us was the color is really just a function of the feed you give the chickens and they can adjust that to make it look more yellow or more orange because it does have a perception of being better for you. So maybe it's different in Europe, but at least in the United States, that's one thing we learned, I guess, how food science can impact the product and what it looks like and how it's perceived. Well, same thing as a uh, banana ripener where they'll measure like what what level do you want your bananas from green to brown? And then they'll say, put it in here for this long. They mix the, the nitrogen in, in the air and then they ship it to the grocery stores. It's that perfect shade of, of yellow, just like the farmers can adjust what the, the chickens are eating. Are you a green banana or a brown banana man? Brown. Yeah, like a- you, you can't eat a green banana. It's 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 so pithy and fibery. I, I agree. I can't hate it. I have to have it pretty ripe. Are there green yeah. banana folks out there? If, if you are yes. a green banana person, let us know. My wife, she likes the bananas very unripe. So. Wow. Crazy. I mean, so technically they're, they're they're actually better for you when they're green. So good for her. But Damn. I prefer Kelsey them real, su- real sugary and brown. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever, uh, uh, Colin, you're, you're our resident plant-based host. Do you ever fry up the banana skins like bacon? 
no. Is that a thing? Yeah. I did an episode of Rolled Up All the Bananas. Banana bacon. Let's go. <laughs> well, why is that? Why is that not a jerky? We yeah. Why did we not see that? I didn't see that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think another comment, another uh, one that was, I walked by a lot of the booths was the dairy-free cheese. Yeah. A lot more and more of that as well. I mean, it tastes a lot better than some of the original mm-hmm. brands in the sort of dairy-free space. That was interesting. I know, Colin, there's yeah. one you really, a couple one, you really liked, right? Sorry, I was just, I got, I got something else in my head. What was the product you said? I was going to go a different direction. <laughs> dairy-free Fa- cheese? Dairy-free cheese. Fake cheese. cheese. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Good Planet cheese. I had tried it like three years ago at the, like, it was like the last day and I was like walking out and I was like, ooh, another dairy-free cheese. And it was amazing. I was really impressed. And then I went, I tried it again this year. The formulations were even better and they have a lot of other varieties. So I tried a lot like non-dairy cheeses just don't taste good or like cheese. Like they get close, but not close enough. Yeah. So that's one of the ones that's like, okay, I could actually like eat this one regularly. One thing that that I've noticed is with a lot of the alternatives, I, I'd rather just have something different versus the, for, for the cheese, for example, I'd rather just have no cheese on my Impossible Burger and just have a different experience. Yeah. But then sometimes you just want that like comfort food and that's really... You do. Or if you're you're with your friend that yeah. everyone's eating a cheeseburger, it's nice to just have a cheeseburger with him and not yeah. be the odd one out. Yeah. So sorry, Colin, what were you going to say? Something that I saw a lot of, probably getting too much of, is the non-dairy ice creams. Mm. seems like everybody had a non-dairy ice cream and like now that um oat is becoming more popular there was just like brand after brand of oat-based ice cream and that's like that's a space where there's so little difference in any of those products that like yeah there's gonna be a couple winners but then there's just gonna be a whole bunch of losers you can't support that many brands now luckily i guess ice cream is also pretty regional generally so there might be might be a bit of room there but there can't be that many national brands in the non-dairy ice cream because they're all so similar and eventually, uh, Nestle Hagen Dawes, Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's has yeah. a great dairy free ice cream already. I you're got one, Colin loves it. I got one in my freezer right now. He's it's talking great. about it all the time. It's like I, I even prefer the, the non dairy ice cream because I eat so much of it that I just that's I don't crazy. Cramp it the next day. If I want like a get curled up in a quilt watching Netflix ice cream, I'll get the Ben and Jerry's. But if I want something a little less, uh, less crazy on the fillings, usually Oatly is where I land. Does Oli have uh, a non-dairy ice cream now? Yeah, yeah, they have they have a uh, oat ice cream. Work on they the also business. have the bars. They had the the bars, the ice cream bars. They were the new novelty the novel, bars. The novelties, yeah, oh, cool. I'm really, gonna, good. I'm going to take you to some grocery stores while you're here. We're we're gonna let's record in a grocery store until we get kicked out. <laughs> I love walking grocery yeah, stores. Bring it much on. To the, much to the detriment of a lot of people that uh, have to walk the store with me. Oh, well, Sorry, we'll Sarah. Go. When we were that that was a fun thing I did with Carolina. We were in ASDA, which is Walmart in the in the uk and we walked we had some time to kill so we just walked the aisles and i was explaining to her all the promotions and i was i was like a little kid showing her what a shipper was or what pallets were yeah so back to back to expo west one more thing that i didn't see a lot of was cbd i remember 2018 Mm. 2019 expo that was the big one of those was that was like everyone was talking about cbd cbd this cbd that can they they weren't allowed to sample the CBD stuff. And that seemed like be the hot trend that everyone was talking about and getting excited for. And then I think we saw that with our clients too, people that were talking about launching a CBD infused product, they didn't do it or the ones that did didn't work very well. And mm-hmm. I think maybe I saw one CBD product walking the entire floor at Expo this year. So it feels like that trend is gone. That was a real, real flash in the pan kind of fad. Yeah. 
Well, I have a couple of friends who are psychiatrists and I ask them about it. And A, the, the dosing that you need for it to actually work is much higher than what you're getting in in, in a, a grocery snack. The other thing is that you they make so many claims of what CBD does that it just you can't pack everything up. And also you have to be really focused with whenever you take any sort of medication or something that will will change how you feel, whether it's a supplement or a vitamin, that if you you have the discipline to just take the exact same dose at the same time with the same foods to actually make a change, it's going to be as much habit as it is what you're taking to to change that that behavior. So it's just, I think people realize it's it's expensive and it may not do what it's doing. It's not worth spending the extra money uh, at retail versus buying actual just pure CBD capsules and the snack that you you were buying CBD infused with. Yeah. And I'm sure if we had seen that like a bunch of CBD products started to jump to the tops of the category, we would have seen more of it, but probably that it just didn't sell that well, the ones that got out there. So people didn't yeah. follow along with that. I guess that covers uh, what, you, what you liked or what you saw and noticed what you was missing. Were, were there any big brands and winners that really stood out maybe on? Let's start on the legacy side. So the, the big companies that we, that we all know, let's say publicly traded and above that are in nationwide distribution that anyone listening could go go find. What larger brands seem to really do a good job in, in your opinion that, that impressed you and kind of got your atten- attention? So I'm not going to answer you exactly the question you asked, but in terms of big legacy brands, I was very surprised to see Tide having a booth. Like to me that like Tide and Natural Products Expo like just doesn't seem right. So that was really, really surprising to me and jarring what did to they me to walk down. Their- at their booth because last time I checked we weren't allowed to eat Tide Pods anymore. So yeah, they did <laughs> soap and stuff. I mean, it's not all food and edibles and things like that at the show, but that to me was like this is this doesn't seem right. I feel like they're trying too hard or something. I don't know. What was it a natural detergent? Because my mom talks about how her mom Tide was just the brand she was most loyal to. Just that there's a whole generation three or, three or four generations ago that just women who would be now in, in their hundreds are just very loyal to to Tide. So I think that, that are they, if they're trying to reinvigorate them with some youth or, or be relevant again, and I keep seeing commercials for Tide, and it's funny that you mention it because I was thinking about them the other day of maybe it is just a staple product like Coke that everyone has, but I don't know. Yeah, it's Tide. Yeah, it would, it would be like seeing Coke at the Natural Products Expo. It just doesn't make sense. Well, they were there too, right? Because Topo Chico, I think yeah. Coca-Cola bought them. So they were set up too. So, I mean, I think just there's so much, I mean, everyone's there now. So it's so, over, there's so much overlap. Yeah. Between yeah. like the legacy CPG brands and the new natural ones. Cause a lot of that, a lot of the funding is coming from the big brands. Yeah. So you can't really tease out who's like truly a natural brand exactly. or like who's a quote unquote sellout or all that kind of stuff. What about um, on the same side? Any new brands that you've seen, I guess, really came up during during COVID that you were impressed to to see there, and maybe they had more SKUs than, than you were expecting. Were there any up and coming brands that that really surprised you? I gotta say it, Liquid Death. They were everywhere. So shout out to Sticks, yeah. the Liquid Death team. Like uh, they were in that North Hall. So the first day, they were giving out full Tall Boys, and so you literally just saw people walking around everywhere with Tall Boys of <laughs> Liquid Death. So they were like, it was almost like they were the buzz of the show, to be honest. Yeah, everyone was everyone that I talked to. Like, if I had a can, everyone was talking about it. Yeah, I heard I heard it so many times. They had so many booths too, so they're really good at just like being present, like all over, and then getting cans in hands. And their marketing is so 
it's so so unique, right? That it stood out so easily. Like you have this tall boy in this black can or the silver can, or the, I mean the white can. They were launching their uh, their flavor drinks, which I was a big fan of the mango one. So that sounds delicious. Yeah. They were definitely every. They were the buzz of the show. Yeah. Time up for a sec. What was the name of the brand? The meat company that was kind of in that part of the show that we're trying to work with. They got the real fake meat. The very good food company. Very good butcher. Or- yeah, the very good butchers. Yeah, and then the very good butchers was another one of my <laughs> favorites. They had um, like meat alternatives, but they had like ribs and stuff like that made with jackfruit. So like it wasn't just like it didn't taste like the overprocessed kind of meat alternative that generally had the size and shape. But like you could tell it was spongy. And it wasn't a patty or a sausage or some sort of already very processed product just with a different ingredient. Yeah, they got some like it's some more unique textures and and I don't know, it was more like the original, but at the same time didn't taste as unhealthy as like processed stuff. So I was really impressed by that. That's cool. That's, That's good. probably my favorite of like the the meat substitutes that I got to eat. One trend not to to jump around too much, but that I did notice in the UK was, and I'm seeing it more and more, is, is the name of the farm that the meat comes from, whether it's a, a Pat Lafrida steak or in the UK, John Smith, Snake River Farms. It's interesting that we can say the names of where the, this meat is being sourced, not necessarily the, the cut or the quality, but the sort of the who is behind it. I think that's an interesting trend as well to almost present yourself smaller than you are. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at Pat Lafrida's aging fridge, it, it's a warehouse. It's an airport hangar. It's huge. It's very mm-hmm. industrial, but it, it's presenting itself as small and premium. Yeah. So like I, I was actually surprised you didn't see more of that kind of like vital farms type of companies where it's, it's more about the small farm experience or traceability back to the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, they might've been there. I didn't notice them. Um, it seemed more that things were almost getting more industrialized, like beyond and impossible and turning the, the meat alternatives into factory made type things instead of going the more natural route. Yeah. Which is funny because it's almost what you want for something that's an alternative. You want it to be as efficient and scalable as possible to create more space for actual grass-fed cattle and, and animal products so they animals can be a little bit less processed and, and factory farmed. Yeah. What about any any quote-unquote weird stuff like cricket protein or chocolate-covered? Didn't see, any, that. Did see any bugs. No bugs. That also stood out to me because I remember there were at least a handful that we saw and tasted when we were there in 2019. But Yeah. Maybe they had more in the ingredients section, which I don't spend as much time there, but I don't know if they had cricket flowers there, maybe. Yeah, that's interesting because I know that insects save a ton of water as well. So yeah. in, the, in the same vein as a lot of the alternatives, I'm surprised that's something that didn't take off. But maybe it's just it's too weird for a Western audience to be eating crickets and, and bugs. I've eaten them. They're delicious. They're crunchy. They're good. They're great. Anything mm-hmm. else that uh, that stuck out to, to you guys from, from Expo West before you wrap it up and take it home? I just, just a, it was a big reminder of how much fun it is to be back in person with a lot of people mm-hmm. that we enjoy spending time with. We had a really couple of really nice meals, team meals, um, which we hadn't done in a couple of years. It was just a lot of fun. It was very yeah. energizing. We definitely that, missed it. So yeah, that was exactly the word I had for it. it was ener- energizing to be back in that environment. Yeah, it's just fun, fun to be working with people. It was awesome. I think that's a good time to tell everyone to subscribe. If you haven't listened to the Liquid Death episode with their v- vice president of cult indoctrination sticks, go back and listen to that one. By far the most popular episode of Bricks and Clicks. We're coming out weekly with a few different topics from supply chains to busting common myths. And if you are interested in working with Johnny and Colin, you can find them at omniumcpg.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Lucas. Thanks.